0: Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, it is—it's uh, good to see you here this morning. I got a confession. It's not a bad one. It's like, uh-oh, one of those moments, right? I'm tired. I don't know if it's just a different routine. You know, you have a normal routine each week, and then, then it kind of changes. And so I'm, I'm just a little sleepy up here. So, so hopefully that doesn't translate to you. I'm just kind of letting you know that's, that's where we are. Yeah, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's good to see you guys. So do you think, do you think Jesus ever got offended? I mean, we get offended. But did Jesus get offended and if he did i mean i wonder what you know what really offended jesus one of my favorite authors that passed away just a few years ago was a guy named dallas willard and dallas willard was asked one time what do you think are some marks of maturity in a christian what does a mature christian look like and one of the aspects of a mature christian that surprised me that he said is is essential is that a mature christian is not easily offended Sure, a Christian is someone that doesn't take offense easily. How does that that idea sit with you? Certainly in our culture today, offense is a virtue, right? Look at me, I'm offended by these things because this is what good people are offended by, right? And that's kind of our culture. So what are we offended by? And I think it's important today to understand the different categories of beliefs that we have. Because sometimes what we're really being, uh, what we're really arguing for are things that we really don't care about, but we don't realize it. So there's, there's uh, a, theo- a theological book that I was reading and they actually categorize beliefs into three categories. And if you could put that up on the wall, they are opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Now opinions are things that we hold pretty lightly. They're things that are transient. In some ways, an opinion is a gut reaction. It's, it's not something I've studied or looked into. It's just something that I hold and, and I believe. And obviously, opinions are things that we have a lot of. Now, beliefs go a little bit different. If, if opinions are things we hold lightly, then beliefs are things that we hold a little bit more tightly because we've actually spent some time thinking about them. Beliefs are things that we've studied, and when I say we've studied them, that doesn't mean we just know our position. A belief is something you've studied, and you understand at least the opposing position, and maybe you can't explain it perfectly, but you have an idea of what that other person might say. And so we hold our beliefs a little bit more tightly, and then convictions, convictions get down to the center of who we are, our identity, they're the things that we might possibly die for. They're things that are central to, to our person. And so if you think of opinions, you have a lot of opinions, but how many convictions do we really have? When you get down to convictions, convictions should be a lot, lot smaller. We don't have as many convictions as we have opinions. And so when it comes to the things that offend us, are we aware of what category some of those things fall in? Are they just opinions? Are they beliefs? Or are they convictions? Dallas Willard said, those who are easily offended, it's, it's a sign of a lack of maturity. And so today, the reason we're bringing this up is we're gonna look at a passage where Jesus' hometown is offended by Jesus. He comes home. And his hometown, instead of kind of throwing a celebration and a party, they're offended by Jesus. And we're gonna look at, uh, if you wanna turn there, in Mark chapter six, we're gonna discover what was, what was happening in in that story. That Jesus comes, maybe for the first time, in Mark chapter 6, if you want to go there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Jesus comes home for the first time, and instead of this great welcome, instead he's offended. And if you look at Luke's gospel, he's more than offended. They actually try to throw him off a cliff. That's how offended they become. And this story, what it's going to do is it's going to mark this transition in the life of the disciples because Mark's going to shift from teaching the disciples to sending them out. And before he sends them out, he's really preparing them. Hey guys, this is what you're going to face. And so if people are offended by you and offended by the gospel, how should we react? And we're going to see a continuum uh, in this story. In verses one through three, if you guys want to put that, that slide up with the arrows on it. Um, there you go. In verses one through three, we're gonna see an offended crowd. The crowd reacts to Jesus. But then in verses four through six, I want you to notice the way that Jesus responds to their offense. Because when people get offended by us, we tend to respond with offense, right? But I want you to notice the way that Jesus responds. And then finally in verses seven through 13, we're gonna look at how do we shorten that gap? How do we shorten the gap between being easily offended And then being grounded in our convictions, understanding who we are, who God is, and responding in ways that reflect our unoffended, Jesus was hard to offend, our unoffended king. You guys ready? Hopefully, it's going to go well. (laughs) Let's see. Mark chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, the word of the Lord. And he went away from there. And he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters with us here? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not do mighty works there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for you. Would you, would you pray for me today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, uh, that we're together. And I thank you, Father, that you're here. It's a gift to be in your presence and to know that you call us sons or daughters not because we have it together or that even that we're alert or our minds are in perfect running harmony, but Father, because you love us. And you sent your son on our behalf that we might know you, experience you, and Father, be adopted as children. And so that's where we rest today. Would you teach us? Holy Spirit, would you guide us and and allow the truth to hit those places that that it needs to be received? Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 3. And they took offense at Jesus. The hometown boy, that word offense in the Greek is the word scandalon, from which we get the English word scandal. Jesus caused them, he made a scandal, it caused them to react. Now, not so much what he said, I don't know if you noticed that. They were impressed by what he said, right? This guy's got some wisdom. Now, in some ways, they're wrestling with the guy who left, because they may have known Jesus from when he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth, and we don't know much about Nazareth. I mean, in fact, Nathaniel, one of the disciples, said when he heard where Jesus was from, he said, you know, can anything, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is not the kind of place you want your CEO to come from. It's not the kind of place that you want a leader to come. It's not the kind of place a Messiah would come. It's not powerful, it's not sexy, it's not great, it's insignificant. And Jesus grows up in Nazareth and then he leaves and he comes back. And they're shocked. They're amazed by what he says. But what, what he says, the way it hits him because they know him, because he's so, so ordinary, they're offended. They're offended by, I think, by who he is. And then in verse 2, and on the Sabbath, he, he goes to the synagogue, and many, again, who heard him were astonished. And they started saying, where does this man get these things? Where does this wisdom come from? How are such mighty works done by his, his hands. How is, this, how is this happening? They don't argue with what he teaches, and they don't argue with what they see, but they're, they're confused, initially amazed, but then it starts to set in who Jesus claims to be. And one of the things I want you to notice is that every culture is offended by Jesus at different points. I don't know if you notice that. Like in our culture, what offends Our culture in our community today is different than what might offend a culture in the past or even other cultures in the world. Some people in our culture love the idea of grace, right? Forgiveness, love, that God would be merciful towards the unjust and God would forgive us. You know, there's other cultures that find that repulsive, that God would be so weak as to forgive somebody. Instead, what they see is they value God's judgment and his, his power. Our culture pushes against that. And every generation and every culture, you'll find they're offended at Jesus in different ways and in different places. I mean, in fact, when Jesus showed up, right, his own people, in John 1:1, 1, 1, it says that he came to his own, but his own rejected him. Jesus wasn't Jewish enough. He wasn't patriotic enough. He didn't fit the cultural mode. He didn't look like what they expected. His own people were offended by the way that he lived, by what he valued, does that surprise you? You know, you think if anyone would have fought for Israel, it would have been Jesus. And yet Jesus was seen by the Jewish people as loving the wrong kind of people, of, of caring for the Romans and the outcasts and the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. See, every generation is offended by Jesus for different reasons. And if Jesus truly is eternal, if he's God, that makes sense. Jesus can't fit into any culture. There's gonna be areas and aspects of what he teaches that it doesn't fit. It can't fit into a political party, guys. Not if it's eternal, right? Because political parties are, are they temporal? Yeah. Are they of this world? Absolutely. Jesus is not of this world, he's eternal. And his kingdom is eternal. That means some of the values of the kingdoms, the kingdom, it's, it's not gonna align with the way we see the world. We're gonna find places and areas where we're gonna be offended. And you may be offended in different ways than other people are offended. You know, in the past, many people, and today, many people are offended by the exclusivity of Jesus. When the early church was growing, the Romans would actually martyr Christians. And that may seem strange because the, the Romans believed in a pantheon of gods. And it was okay, if you believed in a lot of gods, hey, that's great, you you can bring Jesus in. But when they started saying that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life, that became offensive to a Roman culture. And Christians were martyred because Jesus is, he's exclusive, he says, I am the way to the Father. That's an exclusive claim, that's offensive, isn't it? To say there is only one way, that there's not many paths to God, but instead there's one path. And there's another aspect of Jesus that offends us is when Jesus fails to meet our expectations. That many people had a vision of what the Messiah, that's who Jesus is, he's called the Christ. That's not his last name. It's a title that means he is the Messiah. He's the leader of the Jewish people. He's the one that's promised, that's gonna come make things right. And he comes and he doesn't show up the way that people expected and because of that, they were offended. you know John the Baptist was offended at Jesus? That's kind of surprising. You would think John the Baptist, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he's the greatest of all the prophets. No one is born of man greater than John the Baptist. And yet there's this moment in John's life where he's in prison and he's preparing the way for Jesus, right? That's his role, prepare the way for the Messiah. That's, That's his job. And yet he looks at his life and says, if Jesus is God, why is my life the way it is? I shouldn't be in prison. And in fact, he says to one of his disciples, if you want to look there in Matthew chapter 11, he says to one of his disciples, hey, go and ask, verse three, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus, it doesn't make sense. My life shouldn't be going the way that it's going. If I'm trusting in you, things should be getting better. And then look at how this story ends in verse four. And Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leopards are, cl- leopards, lepers, not the leopards. The leopards are fine. The lepers, they need some help. I need some help. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the good news preached to them. And notice how he ends. And blessed is the one who is not offended because of me sometimes we can be offended because jesus doesn't doesn't fit the mold that we want him to fit he doesn't fit the concept of god that we all have a a concept of god right that we bring to him if he doesn't fit that equation then we become offended by him the question is what why was the crowd in his hometown offended and again if you look back at verse 3 notice what they emphasize about jesus if he's the messiah he's doing all these miracles Teaching these great things, notice that what they start to ask in verse three, Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Judas Simon, are not his sisters among us, and they took offense at him. What are they offended by? Jesus is ordinary. Not the son of a president or a prince or a king, but a carpenter. You know, the guy who built shelves, right For our pantry. That's his father. And you know the stories about his mother. I mean, I imagine there were rumors, maybe in Nazareth, they, they know how to calculate dates, nine months. When did they get married and when was Jesus born? And maybe this was an illegitimate pregnancy. And we know who his brothers are. And they start to take offense at the ordinary nature of Jesus. And that ordinary nature we see throughout the New Testament. Jesus and the gospel are very ordinary. Think about salvation. How are we saved? By accomplishing some great quest. You know, go defeat a dragon. Kill the dragon, rescue the princess, bring her with all the riches into the town and everyone will be, right? That's salvation in the world's picture, right? Isn't that greatness? Accomplish something mighty. What is salvation in Christianity? It's It's admitting you're weak. It's it's not displaying, every other place, it's displaying strength. Hey, look how obedient I am. Look how moral I am. I got my beliefs all lined up and together. But rather, in the Christian faith, you know, we have to start by recognizing my path to salvation traveled to the death of God. Isn't that weighty? For me to be rescued required God's death. That I was so sinful that Christ had to die. There had to be a better way, God. I mean, couldn't God come up with some more exciting way for me to be rescued and saved? It's very ordinary, isn't it? And to admit that you need that, to admit that you're sinful is very humbling. To recognize that morally, the way that I've responded to God, I've rejected Him, it takes us to a place that's very simple, ordinary, and humble. And that's what offends people. It's too small. It seems almost insignificant. Jesus is just ordinary. And part of the offense that people experience is they become defensive. See, when you're offended, the idea is someone's coming at you And when someone's coming at you, you gotta protect yourself so you get offended. And offense really is a way of of guarding, isn't it? It's a way of guarding ourselves. And when Jesus came, he said, hey guys, good news. The kingdom of God is here. And then he says, you have to respond, repent and believe the gospel. When Jesus showed up, he brought his kingdom with him. And if Jesus is a king and he brings a kingdom, that means you are not the king and you do not have the kingdom. It's, it's offensive. It's coming into your life, which means if Jesus is the king, then I'm, I'm a servant. And I don't wanna be a servant. I wanna be in control. I wanna dictate how my life goes. I, I, wanna, I wanna see things, and I want people to see things the way that I see them. But if Jesus is the true and rightful king, then that message is, it's offensive. And the crowds respond to him. They're offended because Jesus is invading their kingdom. And I want you to notice, if you look down in verse five, their lack of faith, in some ways it blocked God's ability to work. If you notice it says, and he could, he could, he could do no mighty works there. And I love this statement, except, okay, lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Still sounds pretty amazing. But their lack of faith, they, it hindered God from working. But see, isn't that what faith is? When, Faith is the willingness to be surprised by God, isn't it? It's, it's the willingness to say, Here, here's how I think life should go. I mean, let's go back. John the Baptist, right? He was offended because he looked at his life and he looked at the Messiah. Are you the one? Is this, this doesn't make sense. But what he needed to do is to say, well, you know, it doesn't make sense, but hey, maybe God's still at work. Maybe God is doing something I can't see. Maybe he's gonna use me in a way that I may not expect. And part of faith is the willingness to be surprised, the willingness to recognize, I got got a limited horizon, guys. I don't know about you, I can see maybe, I don't know, two miles, I can see the trees out there. I can't see very far. God sees my beginning and my end. He knows my personality. He knows each one of you and our interactions, right? He sees it all. And I think for some reason I should be able to figure God out and what he's doing in my life. Faith is the willingness to say, well, maybe God is bigger than me and he sees more than me and it's the willingness to be surprised by God. And his hometown wasn't there. And in a sense, they said, hey, you shouldn't have this wisdom. Your mom, we're not quite certain about her. Your family's kind of a wreck. Jesus, how does he respond to to the offense of his hometown. Well, he is, and here's the second part, after we look at the offended crowd, it's it's the unoffended king. Notice what he says is says is says is in verse four. And Jesus said to them: A prophet is not without or out honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. He's just stating a truth. And notice the progression there, hometown, so that's a big community. And the offense gets greater the closer you get to him and then his his relatives and then his household. You know, Jesus' family had a hard time with Jesus. You go back a couple chapters, remember what they said about him? He's out of his mind. They're looking at what he's doing and how he's living and they're thinking, this doesn't make any sense. He's not meeting their expectations, but they had to be willing to be surprised by Jesus, and it took time for his, his brothers, his family to come around and to believe that he was who he says he was. And how did Jesus react? Did he react? I don't think he did. Because he knows what's at stake. And I think he knows what he's defending. Why do we react? Because we think something is at stake, right? It's my kingdom versus your kingdom. My ego versus your ego. Your argument against my, what's really at stake? Nothing. What are we fighting for in those moments? What are we trying to prove? You know, our God doesn't need to be defended by our offense. He's bigger than that. False gods need to be defended. Jesus is big enough. And when he was, when others were offended by him, he didn't react. Now, there were times where Jesus got angry. There were times where you could say he took offense, but who did he take offense at? It tends to be the religious leaders, the hypocrites, those who were unjust. When he came into the temple, he was offended. It's like, guys, this is not how we worship. You're keeping people from the father. And he took offense and he was angry. But to those who didn't understand him, to those who rejected him, to those who cursed him, he still moved towards them instead of withdrawing from them. When I'm offended, guys, I'm going to withdraw from you. I'm just going to let you know. Because that's human nature, isn't it? But what do we not do? We don't stop and ask the question, what's, what's at stake? Why are they reacting that Well, they're reacting that way because they're idiots, right? They're jerks. That's what we conclude. But how does Jesus see his own community? He goes, you know what? No prophet is with honor in their hometown. This, I kind of expected this. They know how ordinary, they've seen me grow up. It's gonna take more than this for them to come to faith. And in verse five, you notice, even though he said, hey, because of their faith, he couldn't heal many people, he still healed people. He didn't withdraw from the community. He didn't say, hey, this is what you guys deserve. I'm gonna pour down the fire on you. I'm gonna withdraw and go someplace else. No, he still cared, he still moved in, he still was compassionate. Jesus did not react to their offense. That's our unoffended, that's our unoffended king. And why is that? What was it about Jesus that's in some ways different from us? And again, if we go back to those three categories, opinions and beliefs and convictions, Jesus lived out of his convictions, which means his identity wasn't in his opinions. He could be wrong. His identity wasn't even in his beliefs his beliefs are things that can change his identity was in the father and his conviction was something he was willing, willing to die for my identity doesn't come from what you think about me my identity doesn't come from how you react to me my identity comes from the fact that I am with the father right and I do everything the Father tells me to do. Jesus, his identity, the way he responded to people, he was anchored in the Father, he listened to the Father's voice, and then he did what the Father wanted him to do. He wasn't defending himself. Instead, he was representing his Father. He was a non-anxious person in a very anxious world. Have you ever heard that phrase, non-anxious presence? That when systems change, when somebody brings change into your family, how do we react? Unless it's you bringing the change. It's not comfortable, right? When somebody gets sick in our family that we love, it's it's change we don't want. And it brings in our system, our family system, it brings a little bit of chaos. Into our country we feel that. When something changes that we've been used to relying upon and it changes, what does that do to us? We get fearful, don't we? afraid. And when any system changes that we're operating, it could be in your own place of work and there's a new leader. It brings anxiety and fear. What was Jesus? We live in a world of anxiety and fear. I mean, just listen to people talk. Listen to the candidates. What are they telling you? Be afraid. Be anxious. And how do we respond? With fear and anxiety. How did Jesus, how would Jesus respond? He wouldn't respond out of the anxiousness of his community. Because though he cared about the people around him, what the people around him felt, their fear, their anxiety, it didn't impact who he was. And it didn't impact the way he cared for them. Because again, he was anchored in the Father and he trusted what the the Father said to him. That's who Jesus was, he was a non-anxious presence. And so what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow in the way of Jesus that the pattern we see in Jesus' life, I wanna see in my own life. And when I get offended, I think sometimes it's because I'm anchoring in myself instead of recognize the truth is I'm hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is my life, appears, then I'm gonna appear with him. Who, who am I? I'm a child of God. My worth and my value, though, I want you to like me, and that's a big issue for me. I hate being rejected. I love approval. I'm kind of an approval junkie. But that's not where my ultimate approval comes from. It comes from the fact that through Christ, I am rooted in the Father. And I can be surprised about what the Father is doing in my life, even when it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, when Jesus was overwhelmed, what did he do? I wanna go and do a little survey if we can kind of rewind and go back to chapter one. You guys okay with that? I know we're in chapter six and you're hoping to get get going, but we're gonna go back to chapter one because I want you to notice there were times where Jesus was worn out. I mean, as he's ministering to the crowds and caring for people, he was tired, he was overwhelmed. So go back to Mark chapter one. And when he was in those places of weakness and his world was being shaken, how did he respond? Look back at Mark one, verse 35. And it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In times of anxiety, fear, worry, he anchors himself in the Father. And you'll notice it'll often say the way that Mark describes it is he withdrew. And that's his code word for to be with the Father. You'll see this in chapter three, verse seven. And Jesus withdrew. So here are the crowds, here's the needs. Instead of just pressing in and trying to make everything right, hey, this is as much as I can do, I'm limited. And he withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed. Verse 13, and he went up on a mountain and he called to him those he desired. And even in chapter four, at that moment where he calms the storm, Jesus was trying to get away from the crowds. And what happens? The storm comes, right? You remember that? And notice the way that Mark describes Jesus in the midst of this storm. He was in the, in the stern, asleep on a cushion. It reflects his trust in the Father, a non-anxious presence. Everything around him is chaos, and yet Jesus knows who he is. He knows who the Father is. He feels secure. And even in chapter six, we see this same thing. The entire town rejects Jesus, but again in verse five, Jesus isn't pulling away, instead he's he's drawing in. So what are we talking about? What is he describing? He's describing an aspect of the spiritual life which is emotional maturity. I don't know if you equate spirituality and maturity, emotional maturity is the same, but Jesus was emotionally mature. And what does that mean? He wasn't reactive to, to where you are. Sometimes when someone comes to us with anxiety, we carry their anxiety, don't we? Well, Jesus was able to care for somebody but not allow what they brought to change where he was. Instead, he anchored himself in the Father. He trusted who the Father was. And in the same way, what does it mean to be a disciple? To be a disciple, three things matter, right? The first is to be with Jesus. The first call of a disciple is to be with him. And Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers and my fathers and my sisters, it's those, those who are with me. And then second, to be a disciple in the parables, he said, you need to hear. That being a disciple means I'm listening to the Father. I'm not listening to my anxiety. I'm not listening to the anxiety of the world because that's speaking loudly. I'm not listening to my fears. I'm acknowledging my anxiety and my fears. But in that place, in the storm, I go, Father, I need to, I need to hear your voice. So I'm with him, I listen to him, and then I go out, and I do the kind of things that, that Jesus would do. What does it mean to, to shorten the gap between the offensive crowd and the unoffended king? It's, it's living in the way of Jesus. It's, it's somewhat simple, it's practicing the way of Jesus. Again, if you look down at verses three through, uh, seven, seven through 13, Jesus sends them out, why does he send them out now? Because they've, they've seen how to respond. They, he, he recognizes, when I send you out, you're gonna, you're gonna offend people. People are gonna be offended by you. And, and notice the way he sends them out, verse seven. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and it gave them authority over unclean spirits, meaning don't go out alone. You need to be in community with others. And then did you notice the whole instruction? Isn't it strange about here's what you should bring, here's what you shouldn't bring? What's that all about? Notice in, in verse eight, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear their sandals and not to put in, to I guess not have two tunics. That's too much. I don't know. What is that about? Realize He's creating accountability with the disciples and the people they're about to offend. He's got, they have to rely on the generosity of the people they're offending. When we offend, what do we do? Pull away. I'm gonna go into that place, I'm gonna say what I need to say, and then you guys have to live with it, right? That's not the community, that's not the kingdom that Jesus established. Instead, he sends them out and the way he sends them out is I want you to be dependent on the community in which you live and the people you're gonna offend, you're not gonna pull away from them, guys. No, you're gonna ask to live with them. You're gonna ask to be fed by them. You're gonna come around them. You're not walking away just because they reject you. Now, they does say dust, the sand, you know that whole statement's kinda strange. It just means, hey, you're responsible. I'm not, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of not taking responsibility. But I want you to have accountability. Church, do we have accountability with the people we offend? Do we follow up with them? Do we move towards them or do we allow their offense to just be, hey, I'm done, I'm done with you? How do we respond when, when we're offended? I think there's two things that, that we need to take away from this, one is define your convictions. Be aware if you're being offended around issues that are just opinions or beliefs. Define your convictions. And then secondly, would you just notice? You know, in life, we're so quick to judge. I did this right, I did this wrong. And as soon as you go to that moral place, what you do is you stop thinking and you start managing. I did it wrong, so what should I do next time? Do it right. But see, the problem for us is not so much just right and wrong. Why do we do the things that we do? And when we get offended, what happens? We feel shame and we walk away going, shoot, I shouldn't have felt offended. Jason told me not to do that. I left and I got offended and here I am. Instead, what God wants us to do is just to notice. What is it that's offending me? Why? Why? you ever asked the question, what am I defending? Does Jesus really need my defense right now? Is he that weak? Is he that feeble that he needs my voice? You know what impresses people? It's the way you trust Jesus. It's the way you're generous on his behalf. It's, it's the way you depend upon him. That gives testimony to the world of the God that we believe in. Our arguments, they tend to fall short. Because are we really making arguments because we're defending Jesus or are we just defending ourselves? To be a disciple means to be with him, to listen to him, and to do the kind of things that Jesus does. You know, this morning we're gonna share communion together. If you didn't receive the elements on the way in, it's okay because those elements are available. They're available in the back. And so if you guys wanna get up and grab them, we wanna share communion together. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect on the heart of our faith, which is the gospel. That we're accepted through the death and the resurrection of Jesus and his, his body is represented by the bread and his blood is represented by, by the Jews. And so as we hold those elements together, we're going to just spend some time in prayer and then share those elements together.